Afternoon. You're listening to the Living Writers Show on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Rachel Harkai. Uh, we have a special edition of the show today in honor of WCBN's annual fundraiser. Uh, we've got we've got a couple a couple special guest hosts, literary literarily inclined guest hosts joining us today. Um, would you guys like to introduce yourselves? My name is My name is Laurel. I'm Vlad. And I'm Marshall. Um, I decided to bring in uh, a few a few of my favorite people who uh, really like to talk about books because that's what the Living Writer Show is all about. And um, in the spirit of fundraising this week, um, I'd like to remind you all about what the Living Writer Show actually is. It's a show where poets and prose writers read from their work and talk about their passions and preoccupations. We've had live interviews with emerging and established writers from five continents. We've had Poets Laureate, Pulitzer Prize winners, MacArthur Award winners, presidential candidates, senators, and even television personalities and international reggae stars. All of these people share a commitment to literature and a willingness to participate in substantive conversation on the air about writing and about the writing life. Um, We've had... A huge array of wonderful authors on the show. In in the past, we've had um, Billy Collins, Peter Ho Davies, Nicholas Del Banco, Jeffrey Eugenides, Robert Fanning, Jonathan Franzen, Alice Fulton, and more. Um, and your donations are what helps keep the Living Writers Show on the air. Um, in honor of the WCBN fundraiser today, I'd like to encourage you all to give us a call. Um, you can speak with our wonderful pledge takers in the studio next to me. And they will offer um, they'll offer uh, the opportunity for you to make requests with your donation. Um, I will be willing to read in my most sentimental Valentine's Day croon um, any poem or passage that I can find uh, in the vast library that is the internet. So give us a call here on WCBN. Uh, the phone number is seven three four seven six three three five zero zero. So um. We're doing we're doing a kind of a, a break from the normal living writers show today. I thought that we would do a, a dead writers theme show. Um, all of your favorite dead writers for the next forty five minutes, and um, also you know a little bit of a love theme. It's Valentine's Day. I thought I would start by playing for you um, one of my most one of my most favorite poems um, by poet E. E. Cummings. It's called "Since Feeling Is First, and I think it touches on both of the show's main themes today, which are love and death. So this is E.E. Cummings. Since feeling is first, who pays any attention to the syntax of things will never wholly kiss you. Wholly to be a fool while spring is in the world, my blood approves, and kisses are a better fate than wisdom. Lady, I swear by all flowers. 
don't cry. The best gesture of my brain is less than your eyelids flutter, which says we are for each other. Then laugh, leaning back in my arms. For life's not a paragraph, and death, I think, is no parenthesis. That was poet E.E. E. Cummings reading uh, his famous piece, Since Feeling is First, uh, a beautiful love poem for Valentine's Day. So uh, give us a call at 734-763-3500 and we'll dedicate any love poem you want to the sweetheart of your choice. So um, I asked our guest host today to bring in some of their favorite, some of their favorite dead author passages. And um, do any of you have anything that you'd like to, to read or share on the air? Vlad? Uh, sure. I brought uh, the Book of Images by Rainer Maria Rilke, and this is a translation by Edward Snow, who did a wonderful job uh, putting grace into Rilke's poems, I mean, into English. And um, this is probably my favorite poem of, uh, po uh, poem of, I mean, it's just brilliant, um, and it's called Childhood. Um, it's a bit long, but I will go through it. Um, so, school's long anxiety and time slips past with waiting, with endless dreary things. Oh, solitude, oh, heavy spending on and on of time. And then outside, the streets flash and ring and the fountains leap from every square. And in the garden, all the world grows wide and to go through it all in one small suit, so unlike how the others go and used to go. O oh, wondrous time, O oh, spending on and on of time, O oh, solitude. And to look far off into it all, men and women, men more men, women and children who are different and bright, and hear a house and now and then a dog, and soundless terror changing back and forth with trust. O oh, sadness without reason, O oh, dream, O oh, dread, O oh, depth without ground. And so to play ball and rings and hoops in the garden that keeps softly fading, and to brush sometimes against the grown-ups blindly and wildly in the haste of tag, but at evening quietly with small stiff steps to walk back home, your hand firmly held. O oh, evermore escaping grasp of things, O oh, wait, O oh, fear. And for hours at the huge gray pond to kneel entrance with a small sailboat, to forget it because other, similar, and more beautiful sails glide through the circles. And to have to think about the small pale face that sinking gazed out of the pond, O oh, childhood, O oh, likeness gliding off, to where, to where. Thank you. That was uh, Vlad Baronia reading a poem titled Childhood by Rainier Maria Rilke from the Book of Images. That is a particularly beautiful poem. And I've been um, I've been kind of on a Rilke kick lately. I know I've talked to you about it. <laughs> I've talked to you about it a little bit. Um, I, I read a really great quote uh, a few weeks ago about by Rilke, and I'll probably misquote it a little bit, but it, 
it had everything to do with the creation of art. And he was saying that all art comes from being in danger from taking something to its very end. And I think that poem really speaks to speaks to the idea of the end of childhood, you know, the end of innocence and, and the way the way that we look back on that. Um, there's also, you know, a sense of sentimentality in that, but not in such an overwhelming sense and not not in a trite sense. So um, I think that's something that really pervades pervades Rilke's work in general. Yeah, I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's he's definitely the poet of the sunset of reflection, of reflecting back, of time slipping, never capturing the present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with that. But um, anything else we want to? Anything else we want to share? Share with our listeners. Give us a call, 734-763-3500. Keep living writers on the air. Um, I have a poem I'd like to share from Pessoa, Fernando Pessoa. Uh, it, uh, it's, it's entitled Symbols. I'm sick of symbols. And uh, it seems especially appropriate today. I told Rachel that I was going to try to find the writer who I thought was the deadest writer. <laughs> and it seems to me like Pessoa is a worthy candidate, seeing as he uh, was dead even while he was alive. Uh, he, he killed himself in almost every word he wrote and decided that he would rather write himself on the page than live any sort of actual life. And so this poem is a, is a good Valentine's Day poem because uh, Pessoa spent a lot of time watching lovers out his window. And this is partly about that. This is uh, Symbols. I'm sick of symbols. And I'd just like to say that I have donated a farthing for every word of this poem. Symbols? I'm sick of symbols. Some people tell me that everything is symbols. They're telling me nothing. What symbols? Dreams? Let the sun be a symbol. Fine. Let the moon be a symbol. Fine. Let the earth be a symbol. Fine. But who notices the sun except when the rain stops? and it breaks through the clouds and points behind its own back to the blue of the sky. And who notices the moon except to admire not it, but the beautiful light that it radiates? And who notices the very earth we tread? We say earth and think of fields, trees, and hills, unwittingly diminishing it, for the sea is also earth. Okay, let all of this be symbols. But where is the symbol, not the sun, not the moon, not the earth, in this premature sunset, amid the fading blue, with the sun caught in expiring tatters of clouds, and the moon already mystically present at the other end of the sky, as the last remnant of daylight gilds the head of the seamstress, who hesitates at my corner, where she used to linger, she lives nearby, with the boyfriend who left her. Symbols? I don't want any symbols. All I want, poor, frail, and forlorn creature, is for the boyfriend to go back to the seamstress. Thank you. That was Marshall Lee uh, reading a poem by Fernando Pessoa titled Symbols. You said you were sick of symbols. What do you mean? I I don't believe I said I was personally sick of symbols. I think uh, <laughs> for the forlorn window gazers, Valentine's Day can seem a little symbol heavy. Yeah, mm. I, I totally, completely agree with that. But um. Yeah, that is a beautiful poem, and it's it's funny how holidays like Valentine's Day can attempt to, you know, sum up some of our most grand emotions and feelings and thoughts in, you know, an image, a very simple image, a very simple symbol. But um, stupid teddy bears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Cupid, arrows and arrows and hearts. But um, 
think we've got time to read read one more thing before we take a short break. Did you have something in mind? Sure. Um, I actually uh, had forgot to bring a book with me today. I, in fact, only have my memory book, which is a sign reading for my psychology <laughs> of learning a memory class. Sounds like a children's book. And neither <laughs> of the writers are dead, so I feel highly slackerish and unaccomplished right now. In any case, um, I pulled up The Fish by Elizabeth Bishop off the internet because this is one of my favorite poems of all time. I just think it's really pretty um, and weird. Um, anyways, here it goes. Uh, this is The Fish by Elizabeth Bishop. I caught a tremendous fish and held him beside the boat half out of water with my hook fast in a corner of his mouth. He didn't fight. He hadn't fought at all. He hung a grunting weight, battered and venerable and homely. Here and there, his brown skin hung in strips like ancient wallpaper, and its pattern of darker brown was like wallpaper, shapes like full-blown roses stained and lost through age. He was speckled with barnacles, fine rosettes of lime, and infested with tiny white sea lice, and underneath two or three rags of green weed hung down, while his gills were breathing in the terrible oxygen, the frightening gills fresh and crisp with blood that can cut so badly. I thought of the coarse white flesh packed in like feathers, the big bones and the little bones, the dramatic reds and blacks of his shiny entrails, and the pink swim bladder like a big peony. I looked into his eyes, which were far larger than mine, but shallower and yellowed, the irises backed and packed with tarnished tinfoil seen through the lenses of old scratched Isinglass. They shifted a little, but not to return my stare. It was more like the tipping of an object toward the light. I admired his sullen face, the mechanism of his jaw, and then I saw that from his lower lip, if you could call it a lip, grim, wet, and weapon-like, hung five old pieces of fish line, or four and a wire leader with the swivel still attached, with all their five big hooks grown firmly in his mouth. A green line frayed at the end where he broke it, two heavier lines and a fine black thread, still crimped in the strain and snapped when it broke, and he got away. Like metals with their ribbons frayed and wavering, a five-haired beard of wisdom trailed from his aching jaw. I stared and stared, and victory filled up the little rented boat, from the pool of bilge where oil had spread a rainbow around the rusted engine to the baler rusted orange, the sun cracked thwarts, the orlocks on their strings, the gunnels, until everything was rainbow, 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 and I let the fish go. Thanks. That was uh, that was Laurel Chartau reading a poem by Elizabeth Bishop. What was the title of that again? It's called The Fish. I like that. It's it's really beautiful, and I, th I think it touches on one of the, the I guess, prominent problematic ideas of beautiful literature that's been plaguing me lately is um, the idea of beauty that is rooted in um, images of violence and pain and uh, things like that. How, um, the, you know, the typical definition of beauty is something that is appealing to the touch and to the sight, to, to all of the senses, um, is something that in literature is not always necessarily the case and how we can find beauty in some of the most you know, torturous, torturous acts. I thought the reason why I found this to be such a beautiful poem is because it's describing such a beautiful moment because it's such a rare occasion that you would come across a fish that has five hooks 
hanging from its mouth, indicating that it in fact survived. And you so you find this magnificent surviving fish, and you're in a little crappy boat, and you just have this moment when you're on the water, and nobody else can possibly attempt to understand the feeling that you felt when you found this fish, but this poem succeeded in describing that feeling, and that's why I thought it was so beautiful. And isn't it an appropriate symbol for Valentine's? Shouldn't, exactly. we, shouldn't we all have hooks and short-snapped lines for our old love? Yeah. Uh, well, with that, we're going to take a short break. You're listening to The Living Writers Show on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Listening to the Living Writers Show on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Rachel Harkai. In honor of Valentine's Day and WCBN's annual fundraiser, I've got a panel of wonderful guest hosts who've decided to join me on the show today to talk about their favorite dead writers. But um, I just want to take a brief moment to thank all of the food donors that have helped support WCBN. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You guys are you guys are keeping us going. I want to thank Washna Dairy, Ambrosia, uh, Brugger's Bagels, Red Hawk, and the Prickly Pear for help helping to bring us sustenance during this uh, this trying time. And I also want to remind our remind our listeners that we're taking requests today on the Living Writer Show. If you call in to our pledge line um tell them anything you want to hear and i will read it for you on the air um we'll even talk about it a little bit if we like it but um our first request um is from sean norton a wonderful member of the university of michigan english department um he recommended this poem to me because it incorporates the themes of both love and death which are our prominent valentine's day themes today um so this is this is a poem by poet Cornelius Eady, and it's called 
I'm a fool to love you. Some folks will tell you the blues is a woman, some type of supernatural creature. My mother would tell you if she could about her life with my father, a strange and sometimes cruel gentleman. She would tell you about the choices a young black woman faces is falling in with some man, a deal with the devil in blue terms, the tongue we use when we don't want nuance to get in the way, when we need to talk straight. My mother chooses my father after choosing a man who was, as we sing it, of no account. This man made my father look good. That's how bad it was. He made my father seem like an island in the middle of a stormy sea. He made my father look like a rock. And is the blues the moment you realize you exist in a stacked deck? You look in a mirror at your young face, the face my sister carries, and you know it's the only leverage you've got. Does this create a hurt that whispers, how are you going to do? Is the blues the moment you shrug your shoulders and agree a girl without money is nothing, dust to be pushed around by any old breeze? Compared to this, my father seems briefly to be a fire escape. This is the way the blues works. It's sorry wonders, makes trouble look like a feather bed, makes the wrong man's kisses a healing. Thanks so much for that request, Sean. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed that poem. But um, for all you listeners out there, um, please give us a call. Donate, donate to WCBN and help keep living writers on the air. Help keep wonderful authors like Patrick O'Keefe, Jim Shepard, Ray McDaniel, Heidi Julevitz, Roy Jacobstein, Lorna Goodison, Patricia Hampel, and John Hodgman on the air in Ann Arbor. Well, um, I've got, I picked out a, a couple of, a, a couple of, poets reading <laughs> okay i picked out a couple of uh a couple of poets reading their own work online uh, i think next we're going to we're going to listen to um a poem by charles simic is that on there no uh how about galway canal galway canal he's on he's on there <laughs> by whom canal is that, on, is that on the list? <laughs> Thanks, Jazz. After making love, we hear footsteps. <laughs> I can snore, snore like a bullhorn or play loud music or sit up talking with any reasonably sober Irishman and Fergus will only sink deeper into his dreamless sleep that goes by all in one flash. But let there be that heavy breathing or a stifled come cry anywhere in the house and he will wrench himself awake and make for it on the run. As now, we lie together after making love, quiet, touching down the length of our bodies, familiar touch of the long married, and he appears in his baseball pajamas, it happens, the neck opening so small he has to screw them on, and flops down between us and snuggles himself to sleep, his face gleaming with satisfaction at being this very child. In the half-darkness, we look at each other, 
and smile and touch arms across this little startlingly muscled body, this one whom habit of memory propels to the ground of his making. Sleeper, only the mortal sounds can sing awake. This blessing love gives again into our arms. That was poet Galway Cannell uh, reading a poem titled After Making Love, We Hear Footsteps. <laughs> Thanks, Chaz, for uh, dealing with my, with my uh, bad bookmarking on the computer. But um, Galway Cannell isn't dead, by the way. He's not dead. <laughs> um, but I thought that was uh, a beautiful love poem um, on the Valentine's Day theme, um, talking about uh, a love that's not necessarily romantic or passionate in the sense of uh, love at first sight or when love is just beginning but an older love uh, the ability to sustain love through marriage and through having a family and uh, through having children but um what's next what's up on our list guys anything else Marshall um well I, this uh I'm holding a, a book entitled The Reasons of Love by Harry Frankfurt he isn't dead either but he's very old <laughs> And uh, I suppose once we've breached that wall, we might as well continue on. This is just the very end, um, the last f two paragraphs of this little um, this little book of philosophy about about the purposes of love and what it means to love. And and this is just after uh, Harry has uh, reached the conclusion that self love is the highest order of love, and that the only way to truly love yourself is to be wholeheartedly devoted to your own ambitions and desires. And he ends with a little anecdote that seems rather fitting. And somewhat bleak, um, he says, and I quote, Perhaps it is a good idea for us not to take ourselves too seriously. I will make the point in closing by relating a conversation that I had a number of years ago with a woman who worked in an office not far from mine. I didn't know her well. We were acquainted only casually. But she was quite good looking. I was unmarried at the time. And one day we got to talking a bit more personally than usual. In the course of the conversation, she said that in her opinion, the only two things that really matter in an intimate, honest relationship in an intimate relationship are honesty and a sense of humor. This struck me as sensible, at least as a first approximation, albeit rather commonplace. Before I had a chance to respond, however, she had a second thought that was far less commonplace. You know, she said, I'm not really all that sure about honesty. After all, even if they tell you the truth, they change their minds so fast that you can't count on them anyhow. So here is my advice. Let us say that you are simply unable, no matter what you do or how hard you try, to be wholehearted. Let us say that you find it impossible to overcome your uncertainty and your ambivalence, and that you cannot keep yourself from vacillating back and forth. If it is finally and definitively clear to you that you will always suffer from inhibitions and from self-doubt, and that you will never succeed in being fully satisfied with what you are and who you are, at least be sure to hang on to your sense of humor. Thank you. That was uh, Marshall Lee reading from Harry G. Frankfurt's book, The Reasons of Love. I like that. I like that idea of self-love as the number one type of love. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just... You would. <laughs> maybe I'm just jaded. But um, I'm glad you brought, uh, or I guess you emailed me uh, a, little, a little short poem by, is it Dottie Parker? Dorothy Parker, yeah. it is. Yes. Do you want to... You want to read that? Sure, sure. I just have a recommendation for everyone out there, and it's the portable Dorothy Parker, the Penguin Edition, which has wonderful illustration by Seth, the comic book artist. 
um, who also says has sort of this uh, bleak sense of humor about him. Um, and uh, Dorothy Parker was just uh, excellent wit. And um, once she was asked uh, to use the word horticulture in a sentence, and she said, well, you can lead a horticulture, but you can't make her think. <laughs> <laughs> so this kind of goes along with that, um, her sort of bitter sense of life and um, irony, and it's called a, fla uh, a flaw in paganism, if I'm correct. Um, Drink and dance and laugh and lie, love the reeling midnight through, for tomorrow we shall die, but alas, we never do. <laughs> that was great. Uh, that was Vlad reading Dorothy Parker. You're listening to The Living Writers Show on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Um, yeah, we, we've got, I just got a request in. This is fabulous. Uh, I believe this is for, for Gabe, for Gabe. And um, he, was, he was pleased to hear the show today. Um, I'm just going to read this poem by Elizabeth Bishop. It's called The Shampoo. The still explosions on the rocks, the lichens grow by spreading gray concentric shocks. They've arranged to meet the rings around the moon, although within our memories they have not changed. And since the heavens will attend as long on us, you've been, dear friend, precipitate and pragmatical, and look what happens. For time is nothing if not amenable. The shooting stars in your black hair in bright formation are flocking where so straight so soon come let me wash it in this big tin basin battered and shiny like the moon thank you so much gabe for uh for calling in and making that request um to all of our listeners keep in mind that i'll be reading whatever you want to hear for the next 15 minutes or so uh give us a call 734-763-3500 help keep the living writer show on the air we've got some wonderful premia to give away we've got t-shirts we've got mugs all kinds of uh all kinds of different themed items uh based on the various shows that you can hear on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. You're listening to The Living Writer Show. We're going to take one more short break, and we'll be right back. Stay tuned.
listening to The Living Writers Show on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Rachel Harkai. In honor of WCBN's annual fundraiser, we've got a wonderful panel of guest hosts reading their favorite passages from dead writers, living writers, on love, death, and whatever else comes up. Um, I'm taking requests for the next uh, 13 or so minutes. I'll read whatever you would like to hear on the air. Um, Marshall suggested to me that, you know, if you... If you really sweeten the pot, yeah, yeah. If you, um, you know, if you really give us a good donation, I, I'll read it in my in my best accent of your choosing. You you just you just call in seven three four seven six three three five zero zero, and um, they'll they'll relay the information to me. But um, Laurel, one of our guest hosts, <laughs> has uh, graciously written some haikus haikus during the break um, on themes that are prominent today february 14th valentine's day and uh, also wcbn fundraiser day so right. would you would you prefer radio listeners to hear uh haikus about donating money or about heart ache i think i think both i think both i think i think we should probably hear about heartache and then about donating money okay okay um, so I've got I've got a few haikus here about um, heartache on Valentine's Day. Here goes the first one. Pick a scab off the soft spot on our hearts, and please don't tell me it's so. <laughs> Number two. His name is no. I wish it to be yes, but what can you do? Nothing. How true. <laughs> yeah. And the last one is the tree is love, and it sways in wind. That's thin in night and fat in day. <laughs> that, that was great. Thanks, right. Laurel. Um, now here's some haikus for you to donate money because we actually really do need it and all the support you can give is amazing. Okay, so here's the first uh, fundraiser haiku. Pledge to CBN. It's an essential resource for all Ann Arbor. And the second <laughs> <laughs> they should put that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah. And here's here's the second one. So donate money. All right. Donate money. Do it now for the station's life. It's yours and mine. Ours. That's so true. It's it's something that uh, you know, we share. We share uh all a common goal. Yeah, we do. We do. Through the medium of WCBN FM Ann Arbor. We just got a another another request um from an anonymous donor. Thank you so much for calling in. Um, this is Italian author Cesar Pavese uh, with a poem titled Alter Ego. From morning till evening he saw the tattoo on his silky chest, a russet woman lying concealed in the field of hair. Beneath there was sometimes chaos. She leapt up suddenly. The day passed in cursing and silence. If the woman were no tattoo but clung alive to his hairy chest, he'd cry out more loudly in the little cell. Wide-eyed, he lay silently stretched on the bed. A deep sea-like sigh swelled the big, solid bones in his body. He lay as on a boat deck. He rested heavily on the bed like someone who on waking might jump up. His body, salted with spray, poured out sweat full of sunshine. The little cell was not big enough for a single one of his glances. His hands showed he was thinking of the woman. That was a that, that was a beautiful poem. Thank you so much for 
for calling in. If you have any more requests, uh, 734-763-3500. Up next, I've got uh, Robert Creeley, uh, recently deceased poet, um, reading reading, uh, his work. Uh, So if you want to cue that up, we've got Robert Creeley. Oh, your face is there, a mirror, days, weeks. We live those other places in all that ridiculous waste. The young we wanted not to be walked endless streets in novels, read about life, went home at night to sleep in tentative houses, left one another somewhere, now unclear. No persons really left but for paper, a child or two or three. And whatever physical events were carved then on that tree like initials, a heart, a face of quiet blood, and somehow you kept saying and saying an unending pain. You're listening to The Living Writer Show on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Uh, that was Robert Creeley uh, reading, his, reading his poetry. Um, I, searched, I searched for a while online trying to find... Um, trying to find some of my favorites, favorite poets um, reading their own work. And I had a really difficult time, um, if anyone knows any, any good resources of where to find uh, poets and authors reading their own work, particularly deceased uh, poets and authors, let us know. Give us a call, 734-763-3500. Um, Marshall, you had one more, one more passage you wanted to read for us? Sure. Um, this is a this is a passage from Walden by uh, by H. D. Thoreau, and I will dedicate it to uh, someone who is often in possibly this uh, very seat that I'm sitting in now, Ashley David, who wrote a really lovely essay about uh, nonfiction in the last Michigan Quarterly Review, and uh, talked briefly about. She's also my co-host. Yes, yeah. indeed, and talked briefly about Thoreau as the progenitor of the personal essay. So this is a, a, a brief little passage about uh, what it is to have a home, especially in winter. And for all, all of you like me who are often alone in your little apartment staring out at the snow, it seems especially relevant. Um, I sometimes dream of a larger and more populous house, standing in a golden age of enduring materials and without gingerbread work, which shall consist of only one room, a vast, rude, substantial, primitive hall, without ceiling or plastering, with bare rafters and purlins supporting a sort of lower heaven over one's head. A house which you've got into, a house which, when you've got into and opened the outside door, the ceremony is over, where the weary traveler may wash and eat and converse and sleep without further journey. Such a shelter as you would be glad to reach in a tempestuous night, containing all the essentials of a house, and yet nothing for housekeeping." a house whose inside is as open and manifest as a bird's nest, and you cannot go in the front door and out the back without seeing some of its inhabitants, where to be a guest is to be presented with the freedom of the house, and not to be carefully excluded from seven-eighths of it, shut up in a particular cell, and told to make yourself at home there, in solitary confinement. I am aware that I have been on many a man's premises, and might have been legally ordered off, but I am not aware that I have ever been in a man's house. Thank you. That was Marshall Lee uh, reading a passage from Thoreau, and that was dedicated to my wonderful co-host Ashley David. Uh, that's a that's a nice passage. I like that very much. I found a, a spoken word album earlier when I was looking through all of our library for 
famous authors, and we've got someone reading Thoreau, but um, glad you read it instead. Thoreau's a good Valentine's Day person because he uh, he had very complicated loves, uh, mostly with his mother and his sister, who mm-hmm. delivered cookies to him every day at Walden Pond. That's pretty adorable. Um, maybe maybe that's the plague of maybe that's the plague of most writers: complicated love. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Too Perverse. much love from family. <laughs> Perverse. <laughs> love of mother. <laughs> Too much familial love. Um, well, we've got um, we've got one more we've got one more one more poem lined up um, that I'm going to go ahead and have Chaz play for us. Snowstorm, by Hayden Carruth. Everywhere men speak in whispers. Tumult, many new ghosts. Storm hurls itself across the valley and careens from the ridges, swirls of snow lapsing, leaping, colliding. Outside on the highway, a car has rolled over the guardrail. Two pickups have stopped. Men stand hunched with their hands in their pockets. We are looking from our kitchen windows. We have called the country sheriff and the wrecker. We have asked the men to come in for coffee. But they have said no, somewhat sullenly. Earlier we had been speaking of war in the Persian Gulf, of all the wars and how armies are everywhere now, hardly one peaceful corner remaining in the world. In strange cities and in wastelands, on mountains and on islands, Young men and women, in clumsy uniforms and in unease, stand hunched with their hands in their pockets, or drink as much beer as they can, or screw themselves silly. But mostly, they stand hunched with their hands in their pockets, scornful of the native people. Now through the snow, the men on the highway are vague, distant figures in a veiled world. The car's lights are dim and unclear. In our eaves and around our dormers, the wind cries and moans with increased force. And the night comes on. You're listening to The Living Writers Show. That was uh, poet Hayden Carruth's poem titled Snowstorm. Um, I just want to take a brief moment to thank all of the people who've called in to donate to WCBN today. Um, If you are listening to the show or you continue listening to WCBN through the evening, please give us a call. Um, Help keep shows like Living Writers and Keep Freeform Radio on the air, uh, 734-763-3500. With your support, we can help keep bringing these wonderful authors um, on the air. I've got uh, one more, yeah, one more poem that uh, I'd like to read. Um, we had a a donor call in and say thank you, and um, I want to I want to thank Nan for calling in, and um, she told she told us that we could pick out a love poem of our choice, and this is one that I've been saving. I think this is my favorite love poem, um, and so this is this is from Nan to Kip. Um, this is called Morning by Frank O'Hara. I've got to tell you how I love you always. I think of it on gray mornings with death in my mouth. The tea is never hot enough. Then, and the cigarette dry, the maroon robe chills me. I need you. And look out at the noiseless snow. 
At night on the dock the buses glow like clouds, and I am lonely thinking of flutes. I miss you always. When I go to the beach the sand is wet with tears that seem mine. Although I never weep and hold you in my heart with a very real humor you'd be proud of. The parking lot is crowded, and I stand, rattling my keys. The car is empty as a bicycle. What are you doing now? Where did you eat your lunch, and were there lots of anchovies in it? It is difficult to think of you without me in the sentence. You depress me when you are alone. Last night the stars were numerous, and today snow is their calling card. I'll not be cordial. There is nothing that distracts me. Music is only a crossword puzzle. Do you know how it is when you are the only passenger? If there is a place further from me, I beg you, do not go. So that was Morning by Frank O'Hara. Um, I want to thank our panel of guest hosts, Laurel Chartow, Vlad Baronia, and Marshall Lee, along with my wonderful engineer, Chaz Barrett. Um, please stay tuned to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Give us a call with your donations at 734-763-3500. My name is Rachel Harkai. You've been listening to Living Writer Show. Stay tuned to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor.